Uh, cheers, by the way. Cheers. Great to see you. And to see you. I'm excited as always to talk. I like talking to you on and off podcast cameras and stuff. So, um, congratulations as well. Thank you. Thank Professor. you very much. Professor, Professor Kit Kit Duval, I, I'm interested to know just more about uh, what that means and how you become one. I don't know how you become one. Um, I applied for something called a writer in residence at Leicester University, which means basically they pay you to write. Now, what it means for the university is... Just come a little closer to that, Mark. What it means to, for the university is that you, you, you have a writing output and they can use that writing output to go up the university ranking. So they can say, look out what a good university are. We've got Kit Duval, she's got a book out. So they use me for my name. I use them for the office to get paid and whatever. So I applied for a writer in residence and they said it was a professorship. So I was like, that's cool. So I write for the university. I will write, sorry, I'll te do some teaching at the University of Leicester, um, do some master classes, run the literary festival, but also write, mostly write. What do you teach now? Like creative writing. Creative writing. How to, how to be a creative writer, all the different aspects of the craft. So I might do a masterclass on how to edit your work. I might do one on research, when to do it, when to stop, when it's an excuse. Um, I do one on flash fiction, on writing paragraphs, on the three-act structure, on loads of stuff aspects of the craft mostly not always the craft sometimes it's how to be a writer what to do how to get the job done what's going to get in your way how are you going to feel about your work rejection those kinds of things because the three-act structure like we've spoke about this is known right but isn't creation quite subjective so doesn't it become a difficult thing to talk about or is there a path strategy process that someone can take to become a creator well, uh, uh, writing is like any creative endeavour. So there are people, genuinely, who are born with a talent for it. So you could say, um, the one I, I, I liken it to the most would be a chef. However, it could be a carpenter, it could be anything, any creative work. So if you're a chef, there are some people who never read a cookery book in their lives, but they know how to do it. They know how to cook fantastic curry or roast beef. But I guarantee you, however they think they didn't learn it, they learnt it somewhere. They learnt it watching their mom. They learned it from working in a kitchen as a washer up or whatever. You learn it, you learn it with your taste buds. How why do I like that? Why does that taste nice? Is this been fried? Has it been boiled? Has it been baked? Has it been broiled? Has it been um is it is it slightly burnt? Is it slightly too salty? So you start to deconstruct a dish and you go, if I made that, I'd put more salt in it. I wouldn't put broccoli with it. I would put something sour with it. So you start to interrogate something that you love. That's learning the craft, whether you've got help to do that interrogation, somebody like me, or whether you're just doing it because it's your interest. But somewhere along the line, you will learn the craft of your, your chosen endeavour. And you can't do it without learning the craft. It, it would be like saying, I want to be a Michelin-starred chef. What I'm going to do is I'm going to eat McDonald's. I'm not going to read. I'm not going to interrogate any food. I'm not going to dissect any food. I'm not going to try anything different. But I'm going to be a great chef. Very unlikely.
because you have no palate. You have no way of knowing what is good, what is bad. If you're a writer and you don't read and you don't try to write, you don't know how to make someone laugh on page 74. You don't know why I was scared at the end. You don't know what a bad ending feels like to read. But if you do the work, learn the craft, whatever it is, like I say, it could be a carpenter, it could be a tailor, it doesn't matter. You have to learn the craft. Yeah, we had Paul Foster, Michelin star chef last week, saying a similar thing. Like it was in his, it was in his environment from when he was a young lad. So he was around cooking, but then... I think you, you, you get interested in life, don't you? And uh, but I think they only become passions when you deepen. Yes. So I've, there's things that have come along in my life that have become interests, and I think I'm really interested until it's time to really do the work. Yes. And then it's like distractions, or yeah. I choose to do this instead. Yeah. So I, I think it kind of deepens. But when, when we're teaching creation, like something that, like, this is what the main thing I want to speak to you about today, because there's a lot of guys out there who have ideas and concepts and ideas. We all do, right? The ideas all come to us. What is like an idea? Like, where do you believe it comes from? Uh, and then, how do you create with ideas? Like, do you work hard to get your to ideas? Ideas, or do you let them come to you and then work hard to turn them into something? You, me personally, I let them come to me. Now, if I was, um, that's because of the type of thing I I write. <clears throat> so I I write really what's called the character-driven novel. In other words, this is all about a person's journey. So the difference between a character-driven novel and a plot-driven novel is does something happen to somebody or does something happen? So, for example, character-driven novel, I'm trying to think of one that your, your listeners might know, but you won't, probably don't know Remains of the Day. But anyway, a character-driven novel is about something, somebody that walks through uh, an experience or walks through their life Things happen to them and the point of the book, or you could even say film, is how do they change? Do they change? What effect does those events have on that person? <clears throat> That's a character-driven novel. That's what I write. A plot-driven novel is the sort of novel where you go, wonder what will happen, wonder what will happen, wonder what will happen, wonder what will happen, all the time. So typical character-driven novel would be anything Sherlock Holmes anything Ag Agatha Christie. Mm. It's not about Poirot, because Poirot doesn't change from one week to the next. Poirot solves the crime. Sherlock Holmes solves the crime. These books are not about Sherlock Holmes changing, because the whole point of Sherlock Holmes' books is he doesn't change. But what is what the book is about is the mystery. How's it going to be solved? Who did it? If you uh, write a plot-driven novel, you absolutely have to work very hard on the idea because it's got to have twists and turns. It's got to have a red herring. It's got to have a baddie. It's got to have um, mystery. It's got to have intrigue. It's got to have a surprising ending. You've got to work really hard at your plot. With a character-driven novel, you've absolutely got to know your guy or woman. You've got to know them. What makes them tick? Where were they born? Have you got brothers and sisters? You have to know all that work that you do goes into knowing a person, not knowing a plot. So this is where I get a bit confused about the working hard thing. You, you know when you say you have to work hard on those things, what does that mean? Like, What do you do to work hard? Do you write lots of different outcomes? Do you sit and think hard? Do you dream and ponder hard? Do you just give it all your... Like, how do you work hard at um, So for me personally, I will... Well, always, always my ideas come from a song. 
So I'll be listening to a song, a typical example, the first novel I ever wrote. It was a song by MJ Cole, a house song, not even my thing I like, but there was a line in it and this woman said, I could be your main squeeze. And I was, I just hit the motorway. And before, when I got home, which was about an hour later, I had the plot to a novel because I just thought, what's that mean to be your main squeeze? That means I'm your girlfriend, but I'm your main girlfriend. That means there's other girlfriends. And then you start this tight, this five or six words become a world. Who is the guy that she's saying this to? Where does he live? What's their background? And so the working hard is working out the relationship. And then, I mean, I say that I had the plot. Obviously I've got the bones of the plot. What I haven't got is where is this book going? And then I will talk about it. I will dream about it. I'll think about it. It becomes your north. You know, like when you've got a magnet and it goes around and it's always looking for north. Yeah. And it'll always go to north, north, north. So I would be any gap, any space in my life. It was my north, my idea, my person, my man, my woman. Is he going to kill her? When's he going to kill her? How's he going to kill her? Is there a car? And then all of a sudden, and I haven't, I haven't written a word at this point, I haven't written a single word, then that might last nine months, that thinking and thinking. And in those nine months, I might write a thousand words of a character study. Or I might take a photo of a Jensen Interceptor and I go, that's the car. I might go to a cafe and I might look at someone's shoes and I've got, I've got her shoes. All the time I'm thinking, I'm populating my world with different people, with lines. I can remember talking to my friend, I was the book I'm writing next, I was talking to my friend and she's Irish. And she said, um, where you and I might say, at the end of the day, he was a bad guy. She says, between the jigs and reels. And I was like, I'm so having that phrase. I loved it. She was saying, between the jigs and reels, it didn't work out. And I just thought, it's such a great phrase. So I steal, like a magpie, i steal them shoes, that coat, that car, that winter's day, that house, until I've assembled everything I need to write, and then I'm off. That's fascinating, because in like the mental health world, we would talk about the idea of like being present, you know, presenteeism, like, you know, focus on what's in front of you and nothing else. It sounds like, as a fictional writer, it's like, you're always like wondering, pondering, thinking. Like, do you find that you find it hard to be present, like in any moments of your life when there's so many inspirations around you? Like, are you always on the lookout? It sounds like high alert. Um, if I'm if I'm working on something, no. I mean, I'm, I'm sixty-eight thousand words into a novel at the moment, and I don't want to. I don't want any other influences. I don't want to see a pair of shoes that go in that novel. I'm scared to see a pair of shoes because I've got my shoes. So I will. I'm now just thinking about that all the time, all the time. Um, as for being present, I, I did some mindfulness this morning and uh, I knew I was coming here. And I was thinking, oh, if I talk to Alex, I might remember. And yeah, I'm going, come back, come back to the present, come back to the present. It's very hard to harness your imagination. Very, very difficult. Uh, I don't find it hard to be present when I'm writing. So if I'm writing, I am there. I'm in my work and, and I forget time. I forget to go to the toilet. Sometimes I'm jigging around on my seat for like an hour because I cannot come out of the scene. I know I've got something and I have to stay in the scene till the end. 
Is that being present? So if our mind's somewhere else, like when you say you're in it, you, you mean you're so far away from the reality that's in front of you. Yes. Like, is your mind really yes. like, so you're with... I'm with my characters. Yeah. I'm present in the work. Um, and I'm not present <clears throat> in the room that I'm working in, not at all. Um, but I, I can be if I'm, for example, if I'm talking about writing, if I'm talking to someone about a scene, I'm so alive. I've never felt so alive as when I'm talking about whatever I'm writing. It's, it's so real to me. Yeah, which is amazing to hear because like most people will never experience that. Although, do they? Is, is that just daydreaming? But you, you seem to question everything much further. <coughs> so like you had an idea on your way back home and it's like then you asked another 50 questions. Yes. I think most people just stop at that point. And again, yes. everyone's different. Not everyone's going to want to question that. But is that at the roots of creativity, just continuous digging, continuous yes. digging? Yes. Or is it continuous listening? Um, it, it's both. I think you have to be present to the world to, to influences, especially if you're in that dream state where you're looking for inspiration. You know, people talk about writer's block, for example. Writer's block's where you've got the white page, you've got the pen, and there's nothing. There is nothing. The tank is dry. Your mind is a blank. <clears throat> I've never had it. Because I do exercises, and this is another thing. I mean, you must know about this. Um, exercises that train your um, <clears throat> mind to stay alert, to stay active, to stay open. So if you never, you know, if you don't exercise the part of your mind that receives information, that acts on information, that colours in the pages, um, you can feel stale. So I, I do exercises all the time with people I know or on my own where I'll just... Um, I might see that very cold looking um, piece of equipment there and I'll go, I've got to give it a name. That, that's called Brian. Who's Brian? And then I'll just go, you know, who is, who is Brian? He's, he's a straight guy. He doesn't like to blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever, whatever the exercise is. But you have to exercise your brain. Do you consider yourself talented? <clears throat> yes. You do? When, was that always there or was that something that you've trained? Um, as, as regards creativity, yeah. um, like I've asked you ten years ago. Are you a talented writer? Oh n um, no, no, no. So you've I've worked yourself. at it. Yeah. I've worked at it. So maybe ten place. years ago, yes. Maybe ten years ago would have been fifteen years ago, twenty years ago. No. Okay, so you've worked that trait. So your talent has come through the process of just through hard work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. I think you've got to have a bit. You've got to have a bit of raw stuff and desire. As you know, um, from being a personal trainer, hard work will always trump talent. Always, always, always. So you can be 30% talented, 70% hard work, or you can be 80% talented, but a lazy git. That's not gonna serve you. You need to put the work in. And if you have got a tiny bit of talent and you work hard, you will trump the lazy git every time. Yeah, Ryan's a bit different. So if we were thinking sport, so yeah. If, you know, if there was a young lad who had a superb work rate and passion for basketball, but he was five foot five. Yes. And you kind of like, look, sorry, like your genetic makeup, it's, you're just, you know, these guys are six, six. You've, I'm sorry, yes. It doesn't matter how old you work. You're, you're not built that way. Yes. Is, is there limitations on creative work in terms of writing then? or Because what I do know is everyone can get better at yes. anything they choose to get better at. Yes. But where, where does the limit go for, for writers? What, what's the difference, apart from hard work, between 
those great writers and those good writers? Um, you do have to have a desire to... You have to be curious. I think the curiosity about the world, the curiosity about what makes people tick, for me, is the difference. Now, if someone else might say, if, if you're writing thrillers, crime thrillers, you don't particularly have to have a curiosity about people, not necessarily, but you really have to have a curiosity about... Um, how people might behave in a certain situation to accomplish the crime. For me, mine is much more about the inner workings of people, pain. I really like to investigate pain, why people, what crushes people, how people might recover. You have to be endlessly curious about that to write what I write or the sort of thing that I write. And I, th I mean, there's a really good uh, new writer called Mick Heron. And he's right, it's a bit like John le Carré. You've heard of John le Carré, right? So he's a bit like John le Carré. So he writes these MI5 type thrillers, really meticulously crafted and great human motivation. I mean, that's the gold standard. You want all the clever plot points, a bit like Bourne maybe, mm -hmm. but you also want the damaged people doing them. Do you know what I mean? That's like heaven, heaven. If you want an idea of something that's superbly crafted and is all about human nature, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold okay. by John McCarray, it's a masterclass, absolute masterclass in plot and character, acting as one to be superb. What drives you to tap into that kind of dark side and creativity then? What, what, what is your driver to, to go down that route? Um, Nobody ever wrote a successful book about a happy person. There's, it's not funny. You know, it's it's not interesting. Certainly not funny. But you know, Jack and you know Romeo and Juliet. So Romeo meets Juliet. He really loves that. She really loves him. Their parents get on. That's not a book. You need to have conflict. Where's the conflict? Where's the tension? Where's the damage? Where's the pain? There's always pain in a successful novel. Always, there has to be, even if it's the pain of not getting what you want. And that's just because human experience, like because that's an internal because, dialogue in this. Because we're just not interested in the happy ending. The well, happy ending not? has to has to come. I don't know, but the happy ending has to come after the pain, after the journey. Yeah. You can have a journey to your happy ending. What you can't have is no, nothing in your way. Nothing to stop you getting what you want. That's just we do not find that interesting. People like a happy ending, though, don't they? People love a happy ending. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Some people yeah, um, I like a sort of happy ending. I like the bittersweet ending. Yeah, Manchester by the Sea. Last yeah, night, perfect. Again, it's like it's not a happy ending at all. But no, it's probably better than it was at the start. What it is is redemption. So it might not be happy, happy ha ha, happy oh they sail away in the sunset. What it might be is just. It's it's the right ending as opposed to the happy ending. Uh, we, sad endings also really interesting. But Manchester by the Sea is after a tremendous amount of pain, tremendous amount of pain that this man goes through. He you you know he's not fighting in pubs anymore. You know that he's probably not going to have a belly laugh for the rest of his life. We might have one, but the pain has subsided. He's forgiven himself. He has this new boy. He has this new point of be about being alive. He, he's 
the pain of losing his children, his destruction of his marriage, blah, blah, blah. It all remains. But he's found a way to exist beyond the pain. And that's as good as it gets. Yeah, it is. I watched it last night in preparation for this because it's, it's one of those films that I'm like, I can't work out why it's so brilliant. You probably know exactly why it's so brilliant. I'm still at a stage of breaking things down and saying, why do I love this film? Why do I like this character? Yes. Because he shouldn't be that likeable. There's empathy there for yeah. him. But there's a genuine, like, yeah, feeling towards him. Like, I like him. I want him to get through this. Yes. I want him to get better. I want him to chat to this woman and form a new relationship. You know he's not going to, but there's yeah. that want for him to... It's the hero's journey, I guess, isn't it? It it's, is the hero's journey, and it's also an Im- it's a, a really human film. You know, mm. there's no bad guys. You know, he meets his ex-wife. She tries to like, you know, talk to him to say, "Look, I'm okay." She's really saying, "Forgive yourself." I've, you know, I've, I've got a new baby. I've got a new relationship. She wants him, and he cannot hear it. He cannot bear it. He, you know, it's awful for him to have that. And that kind of um, humanity where there's no bad guy, there's no bad guy in the whole film. You know, like you look at the, you know, we talked about protagonist, antagonist. Yeah. Now, who's, who's the antagonist in the film? Him. Mm-hmm. He's his own worst enemy. Yeah. He's the antagonist. I have to forgive myself. There's no one, no one's giving him grief. Everyone's saying, you know, I hope you get better. His brother hopes he gets better. His wife hopes he gets better. Everyone loves him everyone wants him to heal he can't heal he's his own he's his own antagonist and he defeats the antagonist in the end and that is beautiful i mean it's heaven yeah but there's also some um acceptance that it, the battle is going to continue do you not think like, yes do, yes do you not feel like that like watching that film like he's come to terms with the fact that he's come to terms with the fact that he was he neglect he neglected something and his children died he's he's you know he will never, ever be the person that left his kids and went to the shop. Yeah. Never. That's gone. It's over. He'll never be happy-go-lucky. He'll never have that uh, release and freedom to be who he really is. He'll carry that burden for the rest of his life. But it won't be as heavy, or he will maybe build muscles to carry it. Yeah. Well, they will say people relate more to struggle. And I don't, it must tap into the human psyche a little bit, because... Like if you look through people's lives, is everyone happy? No. But does everyone struggle at times? Yeah. So I think that's the common denominator. We're all going to taste it, aren't we? Yes. We're all going to taste pain. Like yeah. You don't get a choice. You do not get a no, choice. You no. can't go on a self-development path that eliminates pain. No. People do chase this permanent state of happiness. We spoke. I spoke about this with Matty the other day. I think people do. That's why they buy so much shit. Why yes. They buy such fast cars and they're always want more, more, more. Yeah. Permanent. And the thing, I think what we chase is is the buzz. You know, we don't want peace as much as, oh, wow. You know, if you, if you go after the, the peak, peak, peak all the time, which you get from the new thing, from, from sex, from drink, from drugs, you, you, it's a peak. It's like a, a shot of something. That's often what we crave. I know I do. You know, I'm, I might go shopping online and I end up with a basket with about £4,000 in it. I don't want anything in there, but I've had a little shot of dopamine when I've added it to the to the basket. Oh, I like that. I'm going to buy that. Oh, I like that. I'm going to buy that. That's like feeding that nonsense. Beyond that is a contentment. It's a, it's a level thing. It might you know it might modulate slightly, but it's level. It's not great peaks of happiness and then the slumps. 
uh, and very often we're not chasing the the calm waters we're chasing the the ride do you know what i mean and i think the calm waters is what it's all about i rang my sister yesterday and i speak to her maybe once every couple of weeks and i said to her what's new and she said nothing it's great and she calls it dry she says my life's dry and it is dry and she says my life's dry it's great because she knows most of the time drama is is pain do you know what i mean there's, there's a lot of pain on the other side of drama the new relationship becomes the old relationship the up becomes the down so that sort of leveling out um is to me what to strive for the calmness and the, and the peace yeah but for me like everything's polar so like i want to taste everything like, i don't want calm not all the time for me that would that would make me feel alive. So let's have a look at uh, my name is Liam, right? Yes. I'm, I'm guessing that's one of your biggest accomplishments in life. Yeah. But we could say that, like, that the payoff was, you know, this tiny part of the journey. The rest was you writing, staying up late, yes. working hard, yes, getting edits back, saying this isn't good enough. Do it yeah. again. Do it again. So you could look at it and go, well, it was ninety percent really fucking hard. Yeah. And I wanted to quit. Yes. And I got this from it. I always find the best things in my life are actually. They come after a big load of resistance or challenge or internal conflict, internal struggle. It's that that I like overcoming. Yes. That's the buzz for me. Yes. Now, the thing with short-term buzzes is you don't have to work hard to get them. No. So I can go and get a beer right now. Yes. Boom. I'm good. Yes. For a few minutes. Yes. It's instant. I can get it now. I don't have to work hard for it. Yes. Anything really worth having, I don't get that instant fix. No. It's like, okay, do the work for three fucking years. Yeah. Then you'll get your reward. Totally. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, that's really, that's a hard lesson. I, I listened to a podcast last night, which was exactly about that. And it was saying, it was, it was all about how to, um, how to, to do, get the long-term rewards. And this guy was saying, make a commitment to your future self, which I'd never thought about before. You know, like, don't do it for, 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 for me now, I want the cake. If your future self does not want the cake, your future self is saying, don't eat the fucking cake. Yeah. And so it's saying, make the commitment to that person, which was a really lovely way of thinking about it. I've only listened to half of it so far, but it was very, very good. And that is very similar to, to writing, to creativity, because you're not very good. No one's good to begin with. But you say, you know, do I want to have that in three years? Do I want to have that book in the shops in three years? Do I want to be working in that restaurant in three years or to have made that table in three years? The work begins now but resistance and pain is not necessarily anti-calm waters to me that's you know once you get used to the the fact that it's hard work you get used to the struggle uh, and understand that at the other end of the struggle there's there's payoff it stops being so painful you know it's like um the, the book i'm writing at the moment so it's it's a reach for me i completely it's hard. It's harder than most of the other books I've written because the structure's complicated. And I have faith that I'm going to solve it. I haven't solved it. It's not right at all. And it's going to take so much jiggery-pokery to get this thing great that it's painful at the moment. I just want it done. I want the answer. I haven't got the answer. So that, to me, is all part of the calm waters. The, the easy thing to do is to either not do it or say, do you know what, I'm going to change the structure to make it easy on myself. I'm not going to do that because if I 
solve that problem, that book's going to be fucking great. It'll be good if I don't solve the problem, but it'll be great if I solve the problem. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. But that that's that's testament to your um, ability and, and level of, of, of work, right? That's why you're so good at what you do. Like you say, 10 years ago, you might have been that person that was like, how can I make it easier? Yes. How can I make yes. it easier? I had a chat with a young lad this morning, and he was almost asking, he was asking the wrong questions. It was like, why is it? And you've told me this, but I say... Randy, why is writing so fucking hard? And you're like, Alex, you're asking the wrong question. It's hard because it's hard. The moment yes. you accept it's hard, it becomes not as hard. Yes. And it's like, well, that makes sense. Yes. But, un, un, you know, no, like hearing it and then truly understanding it are two totally different things. Totally. Do you have to have belief that what you're doing is worth it? So what I mean by that is, if you're starting off on a project, and this could be writing or anything, and let's take a guy who's trying to get into good shape. Do you think from the offset he really needs to believe that he can do it to make that gym session, just that one gym session each day, worth it? Because with writing, for me, there's not enough belief that I can write something good. So yes. when I come down to sit and do the work, I'm like, well, this is a fucking waste of time, Alex. Yeah. So I'm good at the habit and discipline of getting there, but when I get there, my heart's not truly in it because I'm like, who the fuck do you think you are? Yes. You're not going to write shit. Yes. I don't know the answer to that question. I think you have to show up enough. Um, you will always get better if you show up. You know, even if you're not a very good writer and you maybe haven't got very much talent, if you show up and do the work, do the exercises, work on the craft, you will definitely get better. You may not be Charles Bukowski at the end, but you will be a better writer. So it's all about... And I, I did an MA in creative writing when I was 51... And I can honestly say half of the people in my class were not great writers at all. And they were doing an MA in creative writing. They all got better. Some of them have got published. A lot of them haven't. Um, and they're competent, all of them competent writers. They may not have the magic. I think it's slightly different with getting into shape because I don't see that being against, I don't see that as being impossible for anybody if they do the work. It's not like you need a, uh, you know, flair to get in. You've just got to do that, do that, do that. Keep doing the right thing. The results will come. I think you can keep doing the right thing as a writer and some results will come. Not, you know, anybody could have a beautiful body if they put in enough work. Do you know what I mean? I think as a bodybuilder. I, I, I know exactly what you mean. One of my favourite writers, Stephen Pressfield, he, 20 years before he published he did the work every single day but it's really important i think for for people to understand that they can get better at things yes i, th I think the older you get as well we can get stuck in our ways where we don't feel like we can get better at anything so if you can't be a kid to either write my name is leon i'm not going to start and yes that can often put us off yes so it, it, this comparison game can kill you but like so for example you're one of my inspirations as a writer but if i also compare myself to you too much i ain't starting totally I've got my heroes I do not compare myself with you know I'll be like okay like there's a there's a writer called Sebastian Barry poetry I mean every set I remember this is very recently um I started a book of his and I was I was writing my memoir at the time so I, I don't want to read mem if I'm writing memoir I won't read memoir okay. if I'm writing fiction I'll read something else so I thought I'll read Sebastian Barry so pick up this book Sorry, audiobook. I'm sitting up in bed, audiobook. And I think I got maybe 200 words. I had to turn it off. 
because I was thinking, oh no, he's really good. What am I doing? Don't listen to it because it'll crush you. Absolutely crush you. It was one phrase. He talked about this little boy and he described him as a scrap of a song and I was like, nope, nope, that's too good. Well, the exact same thing happened without warning and only sometimes. That's yeah. why I put it down. Yeah. One, I was like, well, I'm speaking to Kit tomorrow. I'm like, oh, do I even, can I even hold a conversation with Kit? <laughs> and second was like, how have you met, like, I looked at the language you used and, it, it, you know, I understood it, but I couldn't understand how you pieced it together so brilliantly. I was like, because I'll never be able, or I can't envision myself yes. ever being able to yeah. do that. Even though, you know, if I dedicate 20 years every single day, who knows? Yeah. But the gap seems so big. Yeah. And this is what a lot of the work is, isn't it? It's chunking it down whilst being able to, to, uh, to tailgate it to the long-term outcome. Yeah. And that's a hard, because they're polars. They're total polars. But what, I mean, I, I teach creative writing to students of all abilities. And um, there's there's one boy, um, young man, I should say, he's 22, and I think he's a genius. I read his work and I was like, oh my God. And I had to make, I, I was meeting with him to talk about his work and I had to just stop myself gushing. Oh my God, the way he's done that. And I thought, no, that's not helpful to him. He doesn't, you know, I did say it was absolutely brilliant, but I did get him to interrogate how he'd done it so he can repeat it. Cause maybe this was just fluke or whatever, but oh, great. Other writers, not so good. And they need a lot of help. Now, if they compare themselves to him, if they compare themselves, they, they wouldn't, why bother? Do you know what I mean? He's 22, he's a genius. I'm 22, I can just about hold it together. But what they can be is them. And you will never be Kit Duvall, I will never be Sebastian Barry, but you will be you. And I've read work of yours, you know, where I've said, there's Alex in that. There's Alex. Alex has now stopped trying to be a writer and write something literary and clever and the right words. And you wrote something that I read and I was like, that's it. There's there's great writing. There's Alex's voice. There's Alex's experience. Something you probably didn't think much about writing. You probably weren't writing this piece of writing going, now shall I use that word thorough or shall I use however? You don't do it because it's coming from the gut. This is where Alex doesn't have to do any work because Alex is on the page. And that's the only thing that you have that I haven't got. The only thing I have got that Sebastian Barry hasn't got is how I see the world, the angle at which I see the world, the experiences that have happened to you that haven't happened to me. That's what you've got. And if you, anybody, if you write down those things that hurt. Charles Bukowski, your hero, says, find what you love and let it kill you. And that's what you've got to do in your writing. You've got to find the pain. Find what hurts me. Write it down. You cannot go wrong. Find what you care about. Write it down. You cannot go wrong. Not care about in the intellectual sense. Something that's moved you so much that you felt the, the gut move write that thing down and almost always there's some gem beauty in there is the skill being able to see that it's that though so for example if your usp is you like everyone's usp is you do you believe that you have to have some form of self love or respect for you to even think that what you've got to say is worthy so that's my challenge right there <coughs> 
like, okay, I could be myself, but myself isn't good enough. Yes, I think you do have to believe that yeah. you've, you, you have to, that's not necessarily your, I mean, it is your journey, but it's also the journey of society that values everyone's experiences. So uh, the, the publishing industry, for example, is extremely middle class. Um, it's extremely privileged. They still, the publishing industry still values the historical novel, the Jane Austen, the, all the rest of it. They, they value that way of writing. <clears throat> Less do they value the working class story. Less do they value the simple story. They do value it, but not as much. So society has to value what happens to young men. It has to value what happens if you're poor, if you're abused, all of those things. We have to value the experience of, of people when they say that. And of course, we have to value our own experience. We have to not think, who am I? I don't, you know, I left school at 14 or I'm just a builder or whatever. All the time you're saying, I'm just, a, I'm just, a, I'm just a, you're devaluing yourself. Mm. But if you think to yourself, that happened to me and it's important, it might just be important for me to write it down and give it to someone. It doesn't have to end up in Waterstones. It just has to be down on the page so that you have articulated something important about yourself. Obviously, you hope it will end up in Waterstones if you're a writer and you're an ambitious writer. But first of all, you have to say, I've got something to say, even if no one else sees it, and then write it from the gut without trying to be the writer. Just try and get it on the page. Have you ever experienced self-doubt where someone's belief in you has offset some of it? So, like, did you have someone that was telling you that, like, you're good, just keep going, and that might have been the difference between you getting across the line or not? Or was this all internal? Most of mine was internal. I had a lot of people... Well, I had one very important person tell me I was shit. Um, in a constructive way? or No. Oh. No. So it's my. I had an agent before this agent. And she, first of all, liked my first novel. Um, and she said, oh, you know, we'll get this published. So she took my first novel. She couldn't get it published. So she said, look, write another novel. We'll get that one published and then we'll do the first one, second so I wrote my second novel, took me two years. Um, the first one had taken me five years. So seven, we're seven years on now. And I send it to her, don't hear anything for ages. And then she said, she sends me uh, an email. She says, come down to London, we can talk about it. And I'm like, that's it. And also the London Book Fair was on. Now the London Book Fair is a massive event where they sell books. And oh, you mean she was calling say you've well it. it just finished so yeah. the london book fair's just finished right. then she sends me an email saying come down i want to speak to you and i'm like yeah man Good news. i've done it this is it i was so happy so i go down to london uh sit in her office and she takes the manuscript and she practically throws it on the table in front of me and she says this isn't it and i went oh right okay and she said it's this, it's that. It da, da, da. When I said write another novel, this is not what I meant. I mean, it was just gut-wrenching. I mean, it was gut-wrenching. And um, she then told me she was going on maternity leave and with the magic words, don't wait for me, which means I'm sacking you. Now, not many people get sacked by their agent. Really and truly, it's unusual. So, I, found, I you know, there's me, no agent two books that are no good and 
it really, really hurt me. Was she looking back? Was she <clears> right? <throat> um, was she right? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think she was right. I think, well, put it this way. She may have been right that it wasn't it. There's good things in that novel and that's not the way to say it to someone. That's not the way to say it. She did not spur me on to write. It looks like after that, I go away and write my best novel. No. What I did is I went away and nearly crumbled. Very nearly crumbled. That's not... I, I don't believe in that tough love shit. Tell someone they're shit and if they're any good, they'll rise above it. No. My view is you encourage people. You might say this book isn't going to work because of X, Y, Z. But what I can look at from your two novels, you've got this in that, you've got that in that, do less of this, do more of that, go away and write another one. That's how I would encourage people. I don't like that tough love, break you down to build you up because not everyone will be built up. And there might be some really talented people who have had that shit said to them and they've said, okay, I can't do it. I don't like it. I really, I think it's very, very destructive. Certainly, being on the other end of it. I think if everyone's in everyone's journey, especially a successful one, there's always a turning back point where you could go back. That sounds like it might have been your chance to go. I'm done with this. Oh, I, I was done with it for quite a while. But ha saying that, like, do you, do you not go back and thank her and say you were a great teacher to me and like? No. Like, do you not at all? No. Do you even think the like? I mean, look no. at these books in front of us. No. Like, no. They're written now, right? No. Uh, do you think the same outcome would have happened if she'd have gone, this is good, but you know we can just tailor it a little bit? Because your path would be completely different. It would have been different, but I, I could never thank her for nearly destroying my dream. This is what I did thank her for, because I've, I've seen her, obviously the publishing industry is really small, I've seen her many yeah. times since. And I thanked her for what she gave me when she took me on as an agent. She made me think I could do it. That's what I thank her for. She nearly destroyed me. But she did by taking me on when I was nobody. She made me, th and it's a really, really good agency. I thought, oh my God, I've got an agent. And I felt great. Then I felt terrible. So, no, I don't thank her for it. <laughs> I bet she's gutted now. I bet she's gutted now. <laughs> she, she would be gutted yeah, now. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but I bet definitely. that happens in all agencies, right? They let brilliant yes, people Yes, yes, yeah. Right? Yeah, all the time. All the time. Because she didn't see me. She didn't see me as a writer. She didn't see what I was trying to do or or she just wasn't a good fit. Then, of course, I go to a new agent who is a woman more or less of my age who took it on holiday with her, read it. I think she asked me to put in a paragraph and then she sent it out to the publishers. You know, a different approach completely. Yeah, it happens all the time. Have you seen the uh, Freddie Mercury film? Yes. Queen? Amazing, right? Do you yes. remember when they did Bohemian Rhapsody and they took it to and they were like, it's seven minutes long. There's yeah. Opera in it. There's rock. What the fuck is this? Absolutely. And Queen were like, no. We they stood by it and they went, no, this is good. Absolutely. And I thought, isn't that amazing to have that much belief in your work? Totally. Where you've got these experts. But bear in mind what they had. Those people that had the faith in their work is they'd done the work. Mm. You know, why could they put opera in it? Because they're fucking geniuses. Why could they marry it with rock? How could Freddie Mercury sing? Because he's got that beautiful voice. So they've put the work into creating this hybrid madness that is beautiful. They haven't sat down with the guitar that they bought last week and gone, I know it sounds shit, but it's really good. So they've done the work and then you produce the, the goods. Oh, you're so right. I was going to talk to you about this, but it's just perfect timing now. I wanted to ask you about the link between self-worth and effort. 
So I'm, you know, I've been in the mental health development game for years, and I keep digging and digging and digging, and it's actually more obvious than I've realised. When when I'm putting in effort, regardless of outcome, I feel good about myself. Yes. If I'm trying hard, if I'm giving my best, even if my best is not not worthy of a published book, that still is overrides having a published book versus me getting away with you know shitty stuff and bad yes. behaviour. So I think it's a huge link between that and how you feel about yourself. If you're yes. showing up every day yes. and doing your best at something. Yes. You feel you like you put your head on the pillow at night. Yeah. And you feel alright about yourself. Totally. And I think what's really hard for people, and I've seen this a number of times, is when they have shown up and done the work and done the work and done the work and had been rejected. Well, it's that's very the hard thing. When you try but this is why people don't often pursue their dreams and give it their all because Yes. So painful if you do your best and still get rejected. Absolutely. Whereas if I don't get my book published, I can, I know I haven't tried that hard. Yes. So I can turn around and go, well, that's why. I didn't yes. try that hard. Yeah. If I give everything, everything, spill my guts onto the page for two years, three years, and then the publisher says, this is fucking terrible. Absolutely. Oh, oh it's it's a burn. That's what I had. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I wanted nothing more than to be published. Nothing. I was just so... You know, it was my dream. It's my life's dream. And the way she said it, it was... I remember going home and I was sitting in the garden crying. And my then husband came home from work and he said, God, you know, what's, what's happened? What's happened? And I told him exactly what I've just said. And he went, uh, is that bad? And I was like, wow, dude, is that bad? My heart is broken is that bad and it was it was a real moment with me yes yes it's fucking bad yes it's bad it's as bad as it gets because she has told me and i really valued her opinion i'm not good enough to ever get published that's what i thought i've got i put everything into those two books every idea i'd had every character worked on it slogged in done 24 drafts of each one you know at least and i've got this thing and it's like great and it's singing and I was so it was such an up going down to London it was such a crash to come back and I, I genuinely thought well that's it you know I'll have to find something else to do I'll take up flower arranging because I can't do that thing can't do what I want to do can't be who I want to be so I'm going to challenge you again on this one though do you not look back and think that that added a layer of mental resilience and toughness to your game now therefore like it was part of the journey that yeah as shit as it was you might have had to taste it and experience that rejection so i'm guessing most writers it might have been the way she delivered the message but there's heartache in writing right rejection. yes yeah rejection yeah. is definitely part of the journey yeah. absolutely definitely um and i you know i do tell this story all the time to my ma students when i'm teaching them I was well, that's like, why i love hearing it yeah like, and i've come back to it three times now yeah i like hearing that time someone says you're not good enough to write totally i like that yeah I I don't like it. I think it's a it's a stark example. So that's quite an unusual uh, journey of, okay. of rejection in the publishing industry. That's really quite unusual. Right. This is normally what happens. You write a couple of short stories that don't get anywhere, and you think, oh, I'll write a novel, and then that novel doesn't get anywhere. And when I say it doesn't get anywhere, this is what happens: you haven't even got an agent. So no, you send it to an agent, it goes into what's called a, sh a slush pile, which is like 400 books uh, that they're just waiting to be read. And it never gets read in the slush pile. And about three months later, the, edit the agent sends you a generic 
three-line email, sorry, no. And then you send it to another agent and that goes on for like three years. All the time you're writing your next novel, that goes to a slush pile. And let's say you get an agent and the agent goes, oh, I might be able to sell this. They send it to a publisher and the publisher goes, we really like it, but it's not for us. It's much more slow burn. The rejection is slow and painful. It's death by a thousand cuts. It's not the stab in the, in the heart like I had. It's the slow destruction of your dream. That's much more, much, much more common. The, the, the terrible thing I had is really unusual. Yeah, I think that's what's appealing. It's quite brutal. It's brutal. Therefore, I see it as a bigger setback and yeah. a bigger obstacle overcome. It felt like a yeah. massive obstacle. Yeah, but that's also what's inspiring from an outsider's point. Yes, from an outsider's point of view. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love it. I think it's, yeah, yeah you almost crumbled, you said. Oh, t I think I did crumble. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't write for months. And, and I just thought to myself, well that's, well, that's not entirely true because they were my two novels and I was writing short stories. I'd, I'd always written short stories and I'd had some success with short stories. I'd won a couple of competitions. So I thought, that's it. I can't write novels. I'll just have to write the short stories. I'll enter them occasionally to a competition. I might come second or third. And I thought that would be my life as a writer. And that's, that's fine, you know, for lots of people. Not for me. That's not what I wanted. I wanted my book in Waterstones. I wanted my book in Waterstones on the three for two table and that's what I was going to have. I know, but you're just selling me the, the, the thing that I love most. I'm like, yeah, you did think of that and it was about to not happen. It sounded like you came this close. Oh, yeah. so close. Yeah, exactly, which makes it all the better. It makes it, it, makes it a good story. Yeah, and, and inspiring. Cause there's yes, so many totally, who totally. The, who feel like they're at the bottom. I mean, I'm talking from mental health. To yes, up on yes, Do you yes. Know what I, mean? I agree. Everyone gets that point, and everyone's journey's different. Some of them yes. are brutal as that, but you were that close. Yeah. Like you were a decision away from living a completely different life now. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I don't think enough people look at that. They will just look at this. Yeah, the, they look the at success. Book. Absolutely, they look at your success. Yeah. I have it all the time where people go, you know, they think it was easy, uh, you know, and and don't get me wrong, I've had a lot of luck. I've definitely had luck where I've had a great agent who's, I've had a great publisher. You know, a lot comes into it and I'm never gonna say it doesn't. However, it's, it's also hard work, it's putting in the time, it's, it's you know, whatever, do, doing the whole, all the work that needs to be done. But it's definitely, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Character building, if you can call it that. I don't, like the idea of breaking like I said before I don't like the idea of almost breaking someone to see what they're made of because you know what sometimes people will break sure and don't break don't, don't just take the risk that you know okay nine out of ten people will bounce back and find that little thing and find that little nugget of resilience and build themselves up and they'll go on to do great things and you know what the one guy and the one woman that crumbles and falls apart is more valuable than the 10 people that pick themselves up mm. to me. I don't, I think that's absolutely cruel and not something I'd ever do. Yeah, when anyone's asking me like about big decisions, I'm always, my view on it is like, if you really don't think you can get up off the canvas, if, if the outcome, the worst happens, then don't do it. But if you think you can get off the canvas, yeah, and you, you yes. think you can take the hit, 
and get up because some people don't recover. Totally, some they don't. Some people don't recover and then they live a life of wishful thinking, what yes. could, what should have been. And a life of regret, yeah. painful. They see other people's success and it hurts. And then they can become resentful as well. Yes, absolutely. It's okay for that person. Because, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I do see a lot of that. Yeah, you, know. you, well, you must be on the end of it, surely. It's sort of yes, I am. Definitely. Maybe friends, maybe, yeah. yeah. Well, sometimes, you know, and this is going to sound really sort of precious, but my job is hard. So the writing, oh, my God, love it, can't get enough of it. What comes with the writing, and if you want to continue to write, you've got to do literary festivals. Literary festivals, so, you, you know, you might be in Scunthorpe on Monday, um, Devon, Tuesday, might get Wednesday off, Thursday, Cardiff. And let me tell you, that ain't glamorous. It sounds glamorous. Walk into a, a a room. Oh, kits of all, loads of applause. Then you give a talk, and then you sign books, and everyone tells you how great you are. It's great. It's not great for after the four hundredth time. Four hundredth time, you just want to go to bed. You just want to be in your own bed. Now, I cannot say that to an author who is struggling to get published because they would give their right arm. They would just die to have one literary festival not 400 so you have to be very careful about acknowledging your privilege as a writer i've very privileged very lucky i've done the work but i have had a lot of luck and i've got a lot of uh, you know fame if you like from it um but yes people can feel very um you know isolated from that like that's never going to happen to them. And why have you got 400 literary festivals and no one's inviting me to one? How does that happen? I'm as good a writer to you. And do you know what? They are. They're as good a writer as me. I'm telling you. I've got friends who are at least as good as me. They haven't had the breaks. Sometimes they just haven't written the right book at the right time. Uh, sometimes things haven't happened. Luck, whatever. But there are people out there that are talented that haven't had the breaks yeah i'm sure i'm sure i feel privileged to obviously i've known you for i think it's been like 10 12 years yeah is it yeah long? long time so i kind of and when i met you i think you just started writing leon i think i just finished writing it just finished yes writing. just finished but it wasn't out there okay but i've been lucky enough to witness the realities of what writing yes is. so I know how hard you work, basically. Yes. And how much time you spend on your own in front of the typewriter. Yes. So like, I've, I've got, I believe, a bit of an insight to what a real writer or, yes. or somebody who earns a living and a career from writing. Yes. Like we said earlier, it's different to writing a book. Yes. Isn't it? Yes, you know, it is. Carving uh, out a, a living from what you've done. Yes, doing. making a living out of being a writer, <laughs> there's very few people that can do it. You know, you have to do other things. Sure. Um, but if you're lucky enough to actually get enough money from your books to be a writer that's the dream mm. there's no doubt about it so good things are happening to you right now so very good things Professor Kit the well now yes uh, my name is Leon is airing tonight yes BBC 2 BBC 9 o'clock cool so what else is happening um, my memoir comes out on August the 16th and that's had great press so far really good press it's the book of the week on Radio 4 in September um, I've finished my next one I'm writing screenplays, so I'm adapting a book um, by one of my heroes, Donald Ryan. I'm writing a play for the Abbey Theatre. I've just been commissioned to write a play for the Birmingham Rep. Um, 
other things, you know. How do you have time to do anything else other than write? No social life, Alex. <laughs> no, you know, you, you laugh. I have no, no social I'm, I'm life. Laughing, so I understand, Literally, yeah. no social life. This this would count as part of my social life because I see my children mm. once a week each. So that's twice a week. I'll I'll see. I'll have something to do, and that's seeing my kids. Um, I maybe once a month a friend will come to stay. That's it. I don't go to the cinema. Rarely go to the cinema. Very rarely go out for a drink. Very rarely go out for a meal. So I, I, I'm not complaining, mm. by the way. No, that's not true. I am complaining. I love work. I love my job. Uh, and I'm very lucky. But you do need to be out there in the world as well. You do need to interact with the world. And you do need to shut off and be fresh when you come to the work. And I don't often do that. Why don't you do that? Do you just value the work more? Um, I value the work more and it's also just an absence of people to do it with. I haven't got a partner. I haven't got, a lot of my friends don't live nearby. So a lot of my friends live in Ireland or London. Uh, my family is, is similarly lives quite far away. So it's quite hard to have a social life when I count a social life as doing something with people. So if, you, if your social life is something you do on your own, let's say walking or whatever, that's fine, but that's not mine. My social life, I count as going out for a meal, going out for a drink, going on holiday, going to the cinema, do you know what I mean, with someone. And really, there's no one for me to go with. Yeah, I never really understood this whole, like, how can you be lonely if people are around you? So, like, the literary festivals that you talk about, there's probably a lot of people there, you're signing books. But I understand now, just through experience of life, really, how you can be lonely yet yes. surrounded by people. Yes, I definitely, definitely have bouts of loneliness. I've got such good friends. I mean, really, really good friends. Sometimes I want someone special. I want someone special, not a good friend. I've got, you know, amazing, amazing friends. And then sometimes, I'll give you an example. I went to... Um, a literary festival in Geneva. Beautiful. I mean, just beautiful. And they gave me this hotel overlooking Lake Geneva. And it was you know, quite a journey to get there. And I, open, I get, get into the hotel room, fabulous, like something from a Bond film. And I open the double doors and there's Lake Geneva with the mountains in the background. Just, you know, dream. And I had no one to ring to say, I'm here, I'm at this, you know, I could have rung my sisters, blah, 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 but I wanted someone to want me to ring them, to be interested in the end of my journey and what my hotel was like, and there wasn't anyone. And I felt very lonely for the whole of that literary festival. I was there for about three or four days um, because it started like that, where I thought, well, no one knows if I'm here. No one knows I've got this great hotel room. No one, I'm not ringing anyone before I go to bed at night. And that was really quite hard. And I got over it, you know, and I've learned to live with that. But it was unpleasant. It was an unpleasant feeling that here I am doing, you know, the peak of my career, this great thing and no one to share it with. I think if there's a, a sorrow and an absence in my life, that's what it is. It's strange. I'll talk about anything from the time I had a bit of a breakdown to the, the saddest things I've experienced. But whenever it comes to loneliness, I clam up and it's, I find it really difficult to talk about. It is hard. It's really hard. I don't know why. It's a bit air of embarrassment. It's embarrassing. Me. I had the same thing when I got to Iceland. Yeah. I was like, all of a sudden, I got everything I wanted. I, you know, I was there. I could get up when I wanted. 
And then I realised, yeah, I can get one I wanted. It doesn't matter. No. I was like, fuck. I could get up at half six, half seven, half eight. No one gives a fuck. <laughs> no. No one needs me. No. That's right. That's right. And that's the thing. The other day, <clears throat> I had this thing where <clears throat> I saw my ex-husband in London. We had to talk about my son. Sorry. <clears throat> we had to talk about my son. So, so we had this great conversation about my son. It was really nice to see him. You know, we buried the hatchet completely. And we walk out of this hotel where we were having coffee. And I go to cross over the road. And my ex-husband said to me, um, the, the crossing's just there. Now, if there is a difference that epitomises me and John, it's that I will fucking cross the road wherever I like and he will always go to the crossing. Press the button, beep, beep, beep. Wait for it, doesn't matter if there's no, nothing coming. Wait for it to tell him to cross and cross. I am like dodging traffic, holding my hands up for traffic. Thanks, mate, walk across the road. I don't give a shit. So when he went, I went, okay, so I walked to the crossing because it makes him happy. We cross over and I'm like, as I'm walking around thinking, thank fuck I don't live with that guy. And he's probably thought exactly the same thing as he's walked away. And so, you know, the rest of the day, I'm sort of smiling to things myself. Yeah, you know, it's great, it's great, it's great. And what I, the words that were in my head were, he's not coming home, right? And I was like, he's not coming home. Isn't that great? He's not coming home. By the time I get home, because this was in London, no one's coming home. So it was great that he wasn't coming home, but no one was coming home. And it, you know, it, it was hard, that, that feeling that, oh yeah, okay, it's not him, obviously, but it isn't anybody either. And that was, you know, I felt the loss. I felt the loss of somebody in my life that wasn't gonna come. You know, I don't wanna live ever, ever wanna live with anybody, never. And that's completely genuine. But I would like someone to be coming to see me or me going to see them. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I met two girls in Iceland and it, it only amplified my loneliness because it, it wasn't them I wanted to spend time with. It's really simple. It was just a reminder. And I think there's a few things you need in life. I think they will say something to get better at, like a skill. Yes. Just something. Um, experiences and yes. love. Yes. And I find those first two I can tick off no problem. Yes. But getting that third one's quite tricky. Very di very difficult. Very, very difficult. Because that love has also got to allow you to do your other two things. Yes. So you can get into a relationship where all of a sudden someone wants your time. And yeah. then it takes you away from yeah. the other thing that you love, which is yeah. writing and studying. And so it's like, wow, like spinning it's, plates here. It's really difficult. And, and also, you have got to be you. You know, I've had maybe six, five, six relationships short-lived relationship since I got divorced and not any of them really was I me or wasn't going to be allowed to be me and I would rather be on my own you know I, I look at I've got a number of friends as you must have who you look at and they're not in good relationships but they're in relationships sure. and they've decided to make that deal you know where it's not good but it's good enough or I'd, I'd rather have this than be on my own which I understand I would rather have be on my own than just have someone for the sake of having someone. I never, ever, ever want to be in the position where I don't want someone to come home or I don't want to see someone that I'm in a relationship with. Yeah, I think there's a time investment in a lot of relationships where people don't come out of it because they feel like they've invested yes, a lot of time in it. Right? Totally. Which kind of makes sense, but it's also... It's, totally it's, it's, it's bollocks, yeah, yeah. Get, get out of it. But sure. also, I understand that. 
that you know i've been there yeah you may have too yeah it's totally like, oh, i've given it 10 years so let's just keep going for another year or two and see absolutely and, and then you turn around you're 65 and you're yeah. like fuck you know. know why did i do that i could have left when i was 50 i could have left when i was 30 yeah, there's some interesting podcasts lately who, who from some very successful guys who've said they've almost accepted now that that they're willing to sacrifice that in order to follow another dream. Yes, yes. And they've come to peace with it. They're not ruling out anything. Yes. But it probably sounds a little bit like what well, you're there. Yes, as well, you're just totally. Saying, oh, I'm okay. Yes. And if something happens. Yeah. Amazing. And also, where I am at the moment is um, okay. I definitely would like to meet somebody and have a relationship with someone. I don't ever, like I said, I don't want to live with anyone, but I would like to be somebody's special person. I would like a special person. So I want that, but I want it um, in a sort of calm way, you know, and I have to acknowledge that that's the lack in my life. I've got so much. I've got so much. I've got a beautiful home. I've got beautiful children who love me. I love them. They're both happy. I've got some of the most fantastic friends ever my brothers and sisters love me i love them they look out for me everything's right i've got a fantastic career everything's right except this one thing how many people can say that do you know what i mean if that's my lack that's my lack you learn to live with it you accept it and just absorb that that's the lack in your life because that that's still a really really good outcome and i have to acknowledge that there's not many people that can say oh i've got all of those other things well just haven't got this one thing yeah that's hard that's a that's a skill for me i have to practice that because again i will automatically go to that piece that's missing yes and that will become my world like that's yes all. i'm just lacking this i'm lacking this yes and get this i'll be good and get this i'll be yeah. good yeah. That, that could be a painful way of living as well. Very painful way of living. And, and that's the striving, isn't it? You know, when, when Buddhists talk about striving. So you, you stop looking at the lovely home and the career and the success and your health and all the rest of it. And you go, oh, yeah, but that's not there. And then you might get that and lose. You know, what if you had that person? But the two of you were in ill health. The two of you were absolutely broken on your ass. You're, you're doing ab- jobs that you absolutely hate and you've only got that you each other you've got no friends between you how long is that relationship going to last mm. it's not so you've got all the other s- stuff and you haven't got that one thing yeah that happens to a lot especially guys and I say guys mainly because I've got guy friends and I see this happen all the time I fall into this where you strive for something for so badly for like you might want a woman in your life so badly and then when you get her she's amazing she's like the best yeah. thing since life's bread kind of thing you will grab onto that per- if that person's responsible for your happiness you will yes. grab onto them and yeah. you will pull them so tight you will fucking suffocate them yeah they will end up disliking you and you will end up being this clingy boy yes yeah and then your whole world depends on them i see it happen all the time with my friends and yes they, they don't have a life outside of that imaginary yes. relationship so it's, it's it's that as well i find that hard yes just to balance that so it's all a it's all a challenge it's everything's a challenge it really is i've you know i've had relationships with guys who i mean this if anything makes me run a mile it's this so obviously normally they might they might live in another city or they certainly live far away anyway because that's where i like it i know that sounds terrible but that's the truth (laughs) so what are you doing on on so let's say i've seen them on saturday and then they'll be like what are you doing on monday and i'll go oh I'm, I'm working what about tuesday i'm like uh I'm, I'm working what about wednesday and i'm like wow are you gonna go through the week 
I don't like that. Don't, don't, you know, don't anchor me down. How does someone show they want to spend time with you then? They can say, should we do this? And I'll go, yeah. And they'll go, when should we do it? When should we do it? Not, don't go through my fucking week, ask me what I'm doing every single day. I know it sounds really nice, but to me that's claustrophobia. I want some, I want to have this easy meld with someone, not a account for your days. What have you done? Where, why are you doing that? Where do I fit in? I mean, after a week. Don't know. I mean, I, I get it. If, you, if you're now in a proper strong relationship, sure. that's one thing. You, you know, someone asking to account for your time, but wow, no. Do you know what I'm terrible about that though? Is I, th I think people should be mind readers to me and what I want. <laughs> so like what you've just mentioned, like I think that's cool as long as they know. Yes, yes. Because I do that all the time. Like, well, you should know what I want. So like, hold on. <laughs> and it's the same vice versa. Men always bitch about women doing this. Like, yeah. I think I'm a mind reader. Yeah. I think communications there is part of the key as well. Totally, yeah. totally. I'm going big moods because I haven't got what I wanted, but I haven't declared what I would like out of a relationship sometimes. You want someone to just know? Yeah, of course. You should fucking know what I want. I, I have, I'm so up, I'm too upfront, and I think that's why I'm not in a relationship because I will say, I, I don't want that, and I don't want this, and I don't want that. And I, and I mean, and what I say, I mean, you know, I will yeah. say, I never want to live with anyone. This is the other thing that's going on for me. The men, I'm, I'm 62, nearly 62. If you're meeting someone of 62, it's very unlikely that they are at the peak of their career. They're much more likely on the wind down. They've got time. Sure. They've got hobbies. They've got space for you. I haven't got full-time space for somebody. So I'm meeting people who have got bags of time and bags of space and they want you to fill it. And I don't want to, to do man. that. Younger man. No. Absolutely you younger need, man. Uh, no, right. it really like is. Say, you're busy as hell. You're just totally. You're younger yeah. guy. I want someone who's in the middle of their career who says, I'll see you at the end of the month. I'm like, yes, dude. 55. 55, 50, yeah. 50? Yeah. 49. Perfect. 48. Yes, maybe. 46. That's the youngest. 45, but bang on other requirements. Okay, 45, yeah. This, yeah. I could get you down even further, <laughs> I reckon. I always say this game's too fast. <laughs> All of a sudden it's 20 years old. Like, yeah. oh, how did that happen? Yeah, no, not 20. That's a child. But yeah, somebody who just has, you know, has got some space, but they're not making me their world. I don't want to be somebody's world. I want to have this great, I know it's a fantasy, but I want to have a, a great relationship with someone when I see them. I, don't ring me every day. Don't text me every day. Do not do that. And I won't text you. It's so lovely then when you hear from someone. That's true. It's so lovely. But if it's like... No, that's true. You know, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? To me, it feels like oppression. Yeah. I'm not sure men are very good at showing how they feel without doing that. No, I, I think women are the same. You probably. Completely. Yeah. yeah just... and, and if you, you know, if you don't... I've had a couple of guys who I, you know, I will see their texts and I'm working or whatever and, and I don't answer it or maybe I don't answer it till the next day. I didn't know there was this thing called leaving you on red, is it? I don't know about the colour codes but I guess that's a bit like... Yeah. No, it's like you've read the text. Oh, sorry, got you. I've read, you, you know, someone oh, can, so you see. can see. Oh, so you can see, yeah, you know when I've read, read the text, text yeah. but you don't oh, answer. I'll freak the guy out. Yeah, I, yeah. I, know, I didn't know that. Yeah, you can turn that off by the way. Show you. Can you yeah. tell me how to turn yeah, it that, Yeah, I didn't that know that, you see, because I would just read the text and I go, yeah. oh, that, so you know. So instantly, that's what I mean, he will see this. Yes. Go, she read the message. 
And she got white yeah. and she's got words to me. But she's read it. Totally. My son said to me, Mum, you've left that guy on red. Like, you've read his text. And I was like, what does that mean? Oh. It's a thing. I didn't know it was it's a thing. Whatever that one. We need to get you sorted out in this dating game. That's the first thing we need to sort I out. had no idea. So this guy sends me a text. I, I read it. And, and, I, and, you know, genuinely thought, I will answer it. And I forgot to answer it. And I got another text from him. Are you okay? And I read it. I forgot about the first text. And I was like, what does he mean? I'm okay. Of course I'm okay. And I thought, oh, I'll answer that in a bit. But I don't then get the chance to answer it because the third text has arrived now and he's fucked off with me. And I was like, dude, where's this come from? Yeah, that oh, are you okay just means why haven't you replied to yeah. the text message. But in his head, he would have created a big story. Totally, totally. So well, he won't even think, oh, she might be busy, she'll go back to yeah. the bed. That's what I would do. I wouldn't even think that. That's exactly what he was I doing. I would just think, because I'm the most important thing in the world, why hasn't she yes. replied to me? Yeah. I, I, about me. It was a mystery to me. I, I was really <laughs> shocked that he was annoyed. Really shocked. Yeah. Because I had no ill feelings whatsoever. I wasn't thinking, I'll answer that later. I was thinking, I will answer that, just not right now. Yeah, I'm not shocked in the, in the slightest. Oh, I was, I was really surprised. Yeah, different games. Different it's a different, you see, text world, it's not my world. Men can get quite, and they don't know how to show that they care about someone. So they get desperate and clingy like that. Yeah, and, and very fast annoyed. But yeah, and angry and annoyed. Really annoyed. It all goes back to childhood stuff, I'm sure, rejection. Yes. Men hate getting rejected. Yeah. It's painful. The thing with dating world is that if you're a single guy, you, you, it's expected that you're the one, like especially in a bar environment. Yes. So yeah. you're going to get on the end of more rejections. Getting rejected. It's like the book there. If you keep getting rejected. Oh, it must be terrible. It's not nice. Oh, God, man. No. It puts, you know, it's like being kicked when you're down kind of thing. But there's ways, to, like you, exactly the analogy of like with your agent, there's ways to reject people. Totally. That are okay. Yes. If someone says. You leave someone with their dignity. Yeah, th thanks for asking, but I'm okay. Yeah. But sometimes you get that, that bitch look where it's like, who the fuck do you think you are? I hate that. Oh my it's God. It's the most crippling. It's like you've been stamped on. <laughs> Terrible. And grinded. Yeah. It's painful. It is painful. And, and it, I suppose it stops people doing anything about it. It stops cool. people asking. People should be nicer to each other. I definitely think that. Like, I'm always flattered if anyone shows me any kind of attention. Yeah. If I'm not injured, I still get... It's just nice. Totally. Someone thinks I'm worthy of being asked or whatever. I remember... People always say this to me. Look, you know, how can you be single? You go to um, all these literary festivals where everyone thinks you're great, 300 people in the audience, are then a signing queue of 50 people. How is it you've never been asked out? Let me tell you... One person's asked me out in seven years. He was, let's be kind, 65. He had on an acrylic jumper with egg on it, a car coat, plastic shoes that fastened with Velcro and a comb over. But he had some balls. He had some balls. And he came up to me and he waited till, so he was last in the signing queue for me to sign his book. And he said, what are you doing? Uh, sorry, this was in Limerick. And he said... Uh, what do you do? Have you seen the milk market, which is this beautiful old market in Limerick? Um, have, have you seen the milk market? And I said, uh, I have seen the milk market and, and I'm, you know, I'm doing something. And he said, well, I'd, I'd like to show you the milk market. I'd like to, I'd like to take you there. And I was like, wow, dude, that is, it was so lovely. I like do you know that. what I mean? There was no, you know, he wasn't being fresh. He wasn't being, you know, overtly sexual or anything. He just had this sort of quiet confidence about him. Which did not come from his looks, let me tell you. But he had this quiet confidence that why why wouldn't she say yes? Do you know what I mean? And I was really nice. I just went, no, because I thought I'm never going to go out with this guy. But it was really 
lovely. It's the only time it's ever happened. Yeah, fair play to him. Yeah. First dates are hard as well because I always, I always give my very best on the first date. Yes. And they go well, and I thought I was good at first dates, but they actually backfire because I'm always trying to pretend that I'm like better than what I am. Right. Funnier than what I am. Yes. Than, do you know what I mean? Whereas if I just went in myself, I'd probably have more drop-off rate. Yes, but, at least but you be, would, you'd yeah. be yourself and they would be meeting you. Yeah. You're not going to disappoint. You're not going to change. Yeah, but don't we all do it? I think so. I think we Unless all do Unless you're that cool with yourself that like where you can get to a stage where like you're saying, I'm okay on my own, but if I meet someone great, so yes. I go into this date with no <coughs> attachment to welcome, I can just be myself. But yeah. again, that goes back to, the, are you comfortable with who you are? Because if Absolutely. you're not, boom, all these psyches come up and we'll create this person, we'll create this person. Yes. And then you, that's when you get to the point where you don't know who the fuck you are anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you, this because you're, work, this exactly. Like, this person here, you're like, who the fuck am I? Yeah. And you have to integrate all of those people into one. Yes. Well, that's, I think that's what everyone who goes through <coughs> life starts to, to want to do as a goal. They want to integrate and become, well, that true Whole. identity. Yeah. Yes. Who am I? And then who will love me for who I am? Yeah. Also, I don't think there's anything wrong with the uh, code switching, it's called, where if you're, if you're with your mates, let's say your mates, you, you know, you're really good friends. I bet you've got a different vocabulary, slightly different voice. You're slightly different. And then if you're with your mom and your sister, you're slightly different. And then if you're at work here, you've got a slightly different vocabulary, slightly different way of talking. Now, everyone does that. Sure. There's nothing wrong with that at all. It's when any, because we all have, like diamonds, different facets. You know, there's a bit more of this in this Alex and there's a bit more of that. And then there's the very few people usually where you're all of them. Do you know what I mean? Yes. You're, you're all of these people and they completely integrate into this one person. No, I understand that. I think, so that's a great example. So you're right, totally different with my mates. The language, the seabomb yes. comes out, everything when I'm with my mates. When I'm with my mum and sister and dad, totally different. However, I think what caused me the most pain was when I was like kind with my mates, unkind when I was around my mum and dad. So right. you can have certain traits yes. across all boards. of course. Because you want to be kind... Totally, whoever. Or the CEO. Totally. That's kind of where I want to get to. Where, yes. But but you're right, where you can kind of show up slightly differently. Absolutely. Those, so those true characteristics. I'm Irish, I'm African Caribbean, I'm a Brummie, I'm a professor, I'm lower, lower working class, immigrant class. Um, but I mix with a lot of, you know, certainly I was a magistrate, I used to work, work with barristers and QCs and judges all the time. So I've got like seven vocabularies. You know, what I would say to my black friends is a different vocabulary completely, sure. different sentence structure. <clears throat> do you go up at the end of the sentence or down at the end of the sentence? Do you, you know, and, and with all of my friends, I can go out with some of my friends and all we do is talk about curtains and home furnishings. I love it. I love it. I want to do that. And then I can go and talk, you know, academic thought or whatever with somebody else and I love that too and it's about having spaces to do to be all those people which yeah. I think is really important and as you say across the board is this one respect for human dignity you know you're not going to be a, a, a bitch and a snob and deny yourself or whatever in all these different spaces you have this one baseline of behavior and baseline of who you are. Absolutely. What's scary is how that can fall out of sync sometimes. Yes. So I used to be, like I say, like really horrible in some, like really horrible, especially in relationships when like jealousy got involved. So I was jealous, which meant I was angry, which meant I was nasty. 
Yes. And then on the other hand, like I'm doing some of the nicest things I could ever do, like you know, some small things, sort of things that genuinely like make people's lives better. Yes. And I couldn't work out the polars. I was like, which one am I? Yes. Then I realised like I've put them. In, I can be all of them. So yes. now I have to decide and train myself to be the one that I want to be. Yes. This is why I understand the whole, like, everybody could have been, like, a, a Nazi thing. I really, truly get yes, it. Yes, completely. Like, environment, products of where you've grown up, the values that were rammed into you. Yeah. Like, I believe we can all be truly ugly at times if we want to be, or if the circumstances are right. Yes, absolutely, I believe that. I yeah. think, you know, it's very easy to point the finger at, you know, certainly when I was working in criminal law, I met a lot of murderers and rapists and really bad guys yeah. and good people at the same time yeah I have empathy now for a lot of these criminals that like, I don't say it too broadly because people will be like what do you mean you have empathy but yeah. I, I, I one like hold on let's rewind and see how they were treated yes when yes. they were young because I don't believe anyone wants to be that no but I can understand how people become that yeah totally environment uh, the damage that's yeah. done to people circumstances you know you mentioned yourself how angry you you know you can get with a girlfriend or sure. whatever you're a strong tough guy yeah. all it takes is the wrong set of circumstances do you know what i mean it's you've had a shit day this has happened that happened she comes home and she says i'm seeing someone else and you could just and then you've you've hit her in the face she's fallen over she's killed herself bam mm. manslaughter i've seen that yeah. this case many many times when i worked in criminal law and as a magistrate and you're not a bad person, but the circumstances conspired against you on that particular day mm. that under normal circumstances would never have happened. Oh, no, I believe that. And I see it with uh, drink driving all the time. Like, yes. Oh, point too many. Like, how many good people have driven over the Totally. Road? I know, but if you kill someone, you're not a good person. No, piece of shit. no. And, and you've gone to prison. Yeah, yes. Yeah. pretty ruthless. And you've got to live with yourself. I mean, it's really bad yeah. what's happened to everyone else, but you're living with that yeah. for the rest of your life. Very, very difficult. Should we wrap up with a couple of questions that yes. are traditional to the Better Man podcast? Yes, definitely. I love chatting to you, by the way. Uh, I've loved it. It's great. Yeah, I feel like we've, I don't know where we've ended up on relationships. <laughs> <and> also, <laughs> no. I don't know where that went. But, so two questions I always ask like to end on this. I always like to just ask what's next for, for Kit DeWell. Like, what, what's upcoming for you? Um, I'm really, really trying very hard to take my health seriously, as seriously as I take my work, and to find a social life. Yes, definitely. And then obviously being the Better Man podcast, I always ask the guys that come on, but this is very relevant to, to every guest that I speak to. What does Kit the Wild need to work on now to become a better human being and person? Wow. Um, stillness. Okay. So I need to be much more still and not what's next, what's next, what's next. I do a lot of that what's next and it's got me far. But actually, there's some value in being still and being really content with what I've got. Stop going for the next thing. Okay. Wait, how do you find the value in that? Where do you find the value in that? How can you convince yourself there's value in it? I don't need to convince myself. I need to just stop fucking about and stop striving for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and go, are you going to enjoy the garden that you had spent £30,000 on? Which is fucking amazing, by the way. Do you know, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. But am I ever going to sit in it or am I just going to take a photograph for Instagram? <laughs> sit in the fucking garden and love the garden and be there. Yeah, I and did that. I'm planning a water feature in the corner of my garden with a nice table and chairs. Yeah. And just like you just said then, just clicked to me. I was like, 
But are you actually going to sit, sit in, in it and be there in it? Exactly, be or there, and it, or is it for show? Mm. If you, is that for your Instagram, or are you going to, you know, enjoy sitting there and feel the calmness and look at the beautiful flowers, or yeah. you go, right, I've got done my garden now. Uh, what about that? What about that? Shall I change my car? That striving is very damaging, I feel, to me, and I want to yeah. stop it. I think that's, that can be said for anything that you do. Yes. Anything that you do. I've been really questioning this hard this year about why am I posting this? Why am I yes. doing this? Why am I doing that? Yes. And often I've stopped myself from doing it because there's no value to me. No. Except the, the external rewards that somebody's going to give me. Totally. The how many likes have you got for your garden yeah. photograph? It's bullshit, isn't it? Bullshit. Cheers. Cheers. And uh, thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. Thank you for inspiring me. Um, I probably wouldn't be doing my own little writing if it wasn't for you now. Still, just from hearing your stories of yeah, continued struggle and success all mixed up in, in one strange reality <laughs> of life. So, thank you. Thank you very cool. much.